Okay. John 10, starting at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it up from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father... There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning, for reminding us that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Father, we pray that we might hear and understand and apply these words to our life. We ask that you would do this for each one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. It was during World War I when some Turkish soldiers tried to steal a flock of sheep from a hillside near Jerusalem. The shepherd who had been sleeping suddenly woke up to see his sheep sheep being uh, driven off on the other side of a ravine, and he couldn't hope to recapture his flock by force single-handedly. Suddenly he had an idea. Standing up on his side of the ravine, he put his hands to his mouth and gave his own peculiar call which he used every day to gather his sheep to himself. And the sheep heard the familiar sound. For a moment, they stopped and listened. And then upon hearing it again, they turned and rushed down one side of the ravine and 
back up the other side towards their shepherd, and it was impossible for the soldiers to stop the animals. The shepherd was away with them to a place of safety before the soldiers could make up their minds to pursue them, all because the sheep knew the sound of the shepherd's voice. There is no better loved picture of Jesus in the scriptures than the picture of him as the good shepherd. The picture of the shepherd is deeply woven into the fabric of the Bible. The language and imagery of sheep and shepherds are found repeatedly in both the Old and New Testaments. If you think about it, where they lived at the time, the main part of Judea is a plateau. It's about 15 miles wide by 35 miles long. For the most part, it consists of rocky and stony ground. The primary way to make a living was by tending animals, either cattle, goats, or sheep. Most familiar figure of the Judean countryside was the shepherd. But what is a shepherd exactly? And why did Jesus use this image to teach us about himself? Let's start by first asking, what does the shepherd have? What does the shepherd have? That should be the first blank there in your outline. We're going to look at this passage a little differently than normal. Rather than going verse by verse, I'm going to use a series of questions and answers to try and get at the meaning of what we find here in the text. There is so much here in this passage, I could have easily taken three or four weeks to deal with it. But sometimes when we do that, we lose the big picture, the main point of what Jesus is teaching us. And in John 10, Jesus is teaching us about himself. So the first question is, what does a shepherd have? The first thing we see here in answer to that question is that the shepherd has a fold. He starts off verse 1 by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, this man is a thief and a robber. A sheepfold is an open sheep pen. It has four walls but no roof. It's open to the wind. It's open to the eyes of the shepherd. It's a place of protection. And Jesus begins this parable, this allegory, by asserting that anyone who forces his way into the sheepfold other than by the proper entrance is a thief and a robber. In other words, he's saying, if you listen carefully, that your life is a sheepfold to which he alone, as the good shepherd, is the rightful owner. Now, if you think about that, you may have erected high walls of self-defense around your life. You may even completely enclose yourself behind walls of fear, cutting yourself off from other people, afraid to let anyone get too close to you for fear that you'll get hurt. You seek total security because of your insecurity. But here Christ is letting you know that's impossible because over and around your high walls, your life is surrounded and enfolded by the encircling care and provision of a providential God. Your life cannot be closed off from his concern. It's wide open to the wind. With God, that would be the wind of his gracious Holy Spirit. There is no way as a Christian that the Spirit can be kept out any more than the wind blowing across the countryside can be kept out of an open sheepfold. So that's the first thing we see, that the shepherd has a fold. Second, we see the shepherd has a door. 
Go to verse 2. It tells us, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And then we read later in verses 7 through 9. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, it's difficult to think of these verses without considering the huge body of Old Testament passages that talk about shepherds. One of the most important of those we read as our responsive reading this morning, Ezekiel 34. And there God denounces the false shepherds of Israel and repeatedly says that a day is coming when he himself will be the shepherd of his people, feeding them, leading them, disciplining them. And Jesus' insistence that so far as shepherds go, those who came before him are thieves and robbers, would call Ezekiel 34, uh, with its description of false shepherds, would call that passage to mind. Then towards the end of that Old Testament chapter, God says he will place one shepherd over his flock, his servant David. Yet Ezekiel came after David. And it's a great prophecy of Christ. And now the good shepherd is here, one with God, yet from David's line. And then we read at, uh, when Jesus was born, Matthew 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so we're told right at the beginning of Jesus' life that he will be a shepherd. And now we get to John 10, and Jesus says, I am the door. Now, in a most literal sense, the shepherd was the door. There was no access to the sheepfold except through him. You see, there's only one way to enter the sheepfold, and that is by the door. And these hillside, countryside sheepfolds are just open spaces enclosed by a wall. And somewhere in that wall is an opening by which the sheep came in and went out. There was no actual gate of any kind. And what happened was that at night, the shepherd himself lay down in the opening. And therefore, no sheep could get out or in except over his body. He literally was the door. And if the sheepfold is where the sheep are, where God's people are, and the only way to enter the sheepfold, to enter the kingdom of God, is through the door, and Jesus is the door, not a door, but the door, then it's clear that one can only enter the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. He is the only way to salvation, which is exactly what we read him say in John 14, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We also read in Acts 4, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is found only in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus is saying here very clearly that you must pass through me to be part of God's family. And when you do that, then Peter's words in 1 Peter 2 become true in your life. For there the apostle writes, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That leads us to the third thing uh, we see uh, here that a shepherd has, and that's the shepherd has a flock. 
he has a flock. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Excuse me. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. You know, we just had Easter. And one popular meal at Easter is lamb. And you can't read this passage and think about lamb chops. It's not what it's talking about. See, if you raise sheep for mutton or for meat, you don't do the bonding thing with them. You don't name an animal that is destined for the kitchen table. You don't give that animal a name. Remember that. It's good advice. You know, you don't want to come out to the table and put the plate down and be like, Fluffy! You know, it's really bad. Don't do that. But in the ancient Near East, sheep were raised on the whole for their wool, much more so than for their meat. Of course, their value could be quite substantial. So you could bond with them. A true shepherd knew his sheep and often kept them for a long time. That's what we're reading about here. Jesus knows the sheep. He knows them by name. You remember all the way back in John 1 when he called Nathanael. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He knows him. You remember uh, Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus up the trees trying to get a look at Jesus as Jesus is coming by. And Jesus calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to eat at your house today. As far as we know, they had never met before. Now, I'm usually pretty good with names in context. If I see someone I know from baseball at the baseball field, I'll usually remember who they are. But if I run into them at Costco or at school, absolutely clueless. They'll say, hi, Mr. Silvernail, and I'll say, hey, how you doing? You know, I grew up in New Jersey, so I was, how you doing? But in my head, I'm thinking, I know this person, but I can't remember who they are. And it drives me nuts, because names are important. And I know how offensive it is when somebody ought to know your name, and they don't know your name. Jesus never forgets your name. He knows who you are. In fact, he knows you better than you know yourself. Jesus brings all believers together, all who have received Christ as Lord and Savior, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, men and women. He knows them all. He knows them by name, and they all respond to his voice. And salvation is available to all who put their trust in Christ. Any man or woman who puts their faith in Christ belongs to him, is a member of his flock and a sheep of his pasture, and there shall be one flock. Now, the last part of verse 16 is actually a play on words in the Greek. Um, it's just a reversal of letters. It can probably best be understood as saying, and there shall be one sheep herd and one shepherd. That brings us finally that Jesus has a fold, he has a door, he has a flock. 
And that brings us to the next question. Now that we know what the shepherd has, what does the shepherd do? What does the shepherd do? And to really ask the question of what does the shepherd do, we must first ask, uh, where would the sheep be without the shepherd? See, sheep are weak. They're slow. They're dumb. They're defenseless. Sheep are easily injured. They readily get sick. Uh, sheep overeat. They usually panic when threatened. They follow each other blindly and they drown quickly. It's amazing that there are any sheep at all. Sheep are here only because they have shepherds. According to the American Heritage Dictionary, the definition of a shepherd is one who herds, guards, tends, and guides sheep. Simple enough. Let's look at it a little bit closer. We start by noting the shepherd herds the sheep. He brings them together into one flock, and he keeps them together, and he finds the lost sheep and brings him in. He allows them to, verse 9, to go in and out and find pasture. When we allow the good shepherd to herd the sheep, we're allowing Christ to bring us together as Christians to give us direction as a church. And the focus of our attention is shifted away from ourselves and given instead to the shepherd. Second thing the shepherd does is the shepherd guards the sheep. He is the sheep's defense. He protects them from thieves and robbers. He protects them from those who don't care about them. He protects them from wild animals. John 10 speaks a great deal of God's protection for us. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. We are confronted in our world by lots of voices of strangers. What happens when you're confronted by ungodly influences? Because it's clearly not coming from the shepherd. Do you run? Or do you listen to it, you know, just to see what it says? In this day and age, we're surrounded by false and misleading influences which pretend to have our best interests at heart. We're flooded with misleading concepts and false ideologies which just pour forth from our newspapers and magazines and most of all from the television sets in our living room. Two of the most prominent and most devious worldly influences are humanism and materialism. Humanism says that man is the master of his own destiny. There's no need to believe in or follow God. Have it your way. You only go around once. Go for the gusto. You deserve it. Be selfish. Lie if you have to. The second, materialism, says the chief end of man is the accumulation of possessions. He who dies with the most toys wins. Actually, they still die. But we're getting caught up in a worldly way of existence and we're being robbed blind. These false religions are leaving us with broken lives, broken hearts, broken minds, broken homes, broken bodies, and a broken society. They're modern day idols. We simply cannot afford to follow these strangers. I'm not saying it's bad to have stuff. But when accumulating stuff is more important than following Jesus, you have gone astray. Jesus says in verse 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Our chief end is not the accumulation of things. As the shorter catechism says, our chief end is to glorify God, not ourselves, and to enjoy him forever, not our things. 
Third, since we don't always do that, thankfully, we see the shepherd tends the sheep. He tends the sheep. He takes care of the sheep. He feeds them. He mends their wounds. He provides them with shelter. He spends a great deal of time with the sheep. When the shepherd calls the sheep out of the fold to lead them to a new pasture, he stands at the door. And as each animal passes by, he calls it by name, examines it with his knowing eye, searches it with a knowing hand to see if all is well. And it's a moving time at the beginning of each new day, a time of close and intimate contact between the shepherd and his flock. The shepherd gets the sheep out early in the morning so they'll benefit from the dew that lies on the grass. As the area around Jerusalem is so dry, often this is the only moisture available for the flock. And all the moisture the flock must get comes from the dew-drenched pasture. It can only be gotten early before the sun beats down and dries it up. And then turning to our lives, much of the same principle holds true. It's worth noting that most of the great men and women of God throughout the centuries are those who've met with him early in the day. It's significant that so many of his most intimate saints have been those who literally allowed themselves to be put out into fresh fields of intimate association with Christ at the beginning of the day. It's in those still hours that the quiet dew and refreshing power of God's Spirit descends on us. It's then that our frantic worlds are still. The clamor and conflict of complex lives gets quiet. And it's then that our lives are actually calm enough to listen to what God's Word has to say. It's either at the beginning or the end of the day is usually the only times when life is quiet enough you actually can hear God's Word. And it's then that the shepherd comes to feed, tend, mend, and teach. And it's here that we give him the time to take care of us. You know, we have such a contrast here between Jesus and the Pharisees. One chapter ago, the last few weeks, we were in John chapter 9, and we met a man born blind. Here's someone the Pharisees should have cared for, but they didn't. Then Jesus came along and healed the man. And instead of rejoicing with him, as he could now see, they interrogated him to find out if Jesus actually dared heal on the Sabbath. And when they didn't like his answers, they cast him out. They cast him out. But then Jesus went and found him and brought him into his fold and tended to him. And that man responded with great faith. That's the con John 9 is the context for John 10. Do you want to see thieves and robbers? Look what happened to him. But I'm the good shepherd. I call my own. My own know me. We just had that this parable was just acted out in real life with Jesus and the blind man. And we'll discover that if we give him time, we'll come to know the shepherd guides the sheep. The shepherd guides the sheep. He leads them to pasture. He directs their ways. He takes them on the safest and surest routes. Shepherd's up early at the break of day to lead his sheep out into fresh uh, pastures. He doesn't allow the flock to linger without food. He's constantly providing for them. Likewise, God, by his gracious spirit, is calling you to follow him. 
He wants to lead you out from your cramped day-to-day routine. He has new paths for you to follow, so there's no need for your life to stay in a rut. He doesn't want you to linger without being fed from his word. He daily invites you, moves uh, you to uh, move into the rich pastures of the scriptures. Verses 3 and 4 teach us the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. One thing about the shepherd, he only takes the sheep to places where he has been before. He knows where the sheep are and where they are to go. And wherever he chooses to put you is for him familiar ground. If you're setting out under his guidance, then your confidence is in his faithfulness to find the right place for you to be, the place where he and others will benefit the most from your presence. But it means you have to be able to trust the shepherd. And as people, we tend to trust only those whom we know the best. So we need to get to know the shepherd. And that brings us to the next question. What does the shepherd want? What does the shepherd want? It's not just a one-way street. While the shepherd does an amazing amount of things for the sheep, there are some things he expects of the sheep. First, and one of the most important, is that the sheep are to know the shepherd. Verse 14 says, this verse is critical, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. There's a special relationship of trust between the shepherd and the sheep. A relationship based upon knowing each other. Knowing Christ is one of the great themes that runs through the Gospel of John. We're to know the love of God. We're to know that we have eternal life. We're to know that he hears us when we talk to him. We're to know that we belong to him. And the only way you really get to know someone is by spending time with that person, listening to what they have to say, to what they think, to what they feel. It's the same with the shepherd. The only way you really get to know the shepherd is by spending time with him listening to what he has to say. And it's through the Bible that we learn who the shepherd is and how much he actually loves us. It's through the Bible that we're able to know the shepherd. Second thing the shepherd expects from us is that the sheep are to hear the shepherd. Back to verses 3 and 4. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Why do the sheep listen to the shepherd's voice, because they've spent so much time listening to it. It's become familiar to them. And it's simply because over a period of time, the sheep come to associate the sound of the shepherd's voice with special benefits. When the shepherd calls to them, it's for a specific purpose as their best interests in mind. Hearing the shepherd's voice gives the sheep assurance that his Actual, real, physical presence is among them, and he's caring for them. And the instant sheep hear and recognize the shepherd's voice, they lift their heads. They turn in the direction from where the sound came. They cock their ears to catch every sound. Whether resting, feeding, or fighting, everything else is forgotten for the moment because they've heard their shepherd's voice. It commands their full and undivided attention. And again, we're to recognize the shepherd's voice. We must learn to distinguish it from the many other voices crying out to us in a very confused world. 
And in order to be able to recognize his voice, we must spend time listening to it. It needs to become familiar to us. Second, we have to respond to his voice. He chooses to communicate with us in order to impress upon us his desires and his will. He has good intentions toward us. They're in our best interest. We must act accordingly. God's truth becomes truth to me. Spiritual life becomes life to me. Only when I actually do those things I hear Christ telling me to do, when I respond to his word and follow his directions, and then does truth get out of my head and become part of my life. Finally, the shepherd expects that the sheep are to follow the shepherd. It's finally gotten hard. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. There's a major cultural uh, east-west difference in this verse that we don't think about. Primarily in the West, sheep are driven, probably because most are going to get eaten. But in the East, sheep are led. And over a period of time, sheep come to recognize and respond to the shepherd's voice, simply because to the sheep, the voice and the shepherd are one. The voice indicates his presence and that he's there in person. The voice represents his power, his authority, his ability to protect and provide for them. I read, was reading about this, and I read about one man, he only had two sheep. So he named them goodness and mercy and said, they will follow me all the days of my life. <laughs> but you think about it, and I said, this is the hard part. It doesn't matter where Christ leads you. He never leads you into sin. He may ask you to wade into deep water. He may ask you to climb rocky heights or to walk in the valley of the shadow of death. I think that missionary that Mark mentioned earlier knew as he was leaving the house that day that he would spend that day in the valley of the shadow of death and he would die there. And that God would use that The only way to understand death on the mission field is to know that God sent his son to die on the mission field. And Jesus never asked you to go anywhere without going there first himself. He goes before you. He leads you through. And you follow him there. And it's not always easy. But the comfort is Jesus goes before you. And therefore, when we hear his voice, we should want to follow him. Because only the person who wants to follow Christ will ever actually do so. All the rest becomes strays. And the word follow implies more than just blindly tagging along, but rather it means deliberately deciding to comply with specific instructions. 
We know to hear God's voice, we must go to God's word. We also know his clear instructions for our conduct and character have been laid out for us in his word. He goes before us, we hear his voice, and we follow. There's no guarantees for the path. But you walk on no path that Jesus hasn't already tread. I must say that Philip Keller's books, uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 and A Shepherd Looks at the Good Shepherd, have been wonderfully uh, refreshing for me as I prepared this message. Um, in fact, I was enjoying them so much I got way behind in writing this. And uh, I commend them. I have them here. I commend them to you. They're still available. They've published uh, zillions of copies, I'm sure. They're not difficult, but they're just so wonderfully good. Just one quote from his books, he writes, It is no mere whim on God's part to call us sheep. Our behavior patterns and life habits are so much like sheep, it is well nigh embarrassing. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are the sheep. We act like sheep. Sometimes we're dumb, sometimes we're weak, sometimes we're lost. I want to finish with another story about a shepherd. This one comes during World War II. It's when a young British fighter pilot was returning from his mission over Europe. It was a cloudy, overcast night, and his plane was badly shot up. He'd lost all his navigational systems. And as he neared England, he realized because of the heavy cloud cover, he couldn't see the airfield well enough to land. So he began flying in a triangle. He remembered this was the distress signal, and the folks on the ground would recognize it and send up another plane, a shepherd. And that shepherd would bring him in. And sure enough, he soon heard the engine and saw the lights of the other plane. And as that plane pulled up alongside his badly crippled plane, he was shocked. It was an old World War I biplane, pilot complete with goggles and flowing white scarf. And he followed alongside the old plane and shortly was brought in for a safe landing. He decided to go look for this brave pilot to thank him for saving his life and bringing him in. So he went into the pilot's room and asked for this man, describing him to the older pilot sitting there in the room. And silently, they just pointed to a picture of a pilot in a World War I biplane that was hanging over the fireplace. That's him! young pilot said, looking at the old picture. Where can I find him? I need to thank him. They told him he was a World War I flying ace who went out as a shepherd one cloudy night to bring in a crippled plane. The other plane made it, but the shepherd was never seen again. And the oldest pilot there said, oh, he's still out there. He's still bringing people in, still saving lives, but it's been many years now and we're still waiting for his return. situation hadn't changed much today. Who is the shepherd? Christ said, I am the good shepherd. Christ knows his sheep and his sheep know him. He counts them one by one and he calls them by name. He is the shepherd. He herds his sheep together in one flock, guards them well, tends them with care and compassion, guides their step and loves them faithfully. And Christ laid down his life for the sheep. 
Who are the sheep? The psalmist tells us, Psalm 100. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Christ is the good shepherd. And he's still out there. And he's still finding lost people and bringing them in, still saving lives, still calling his sheep into his flock. But it's been many years now, and we're still waiting for his return. Perhaps he's looking for you. Think about that. We need to pray. Take a moment to do that, and then I'll close.